is a blue. You're listening to Three Valleys Radio. Up through the stony ground, there's no room. Welcome to our In Conversation program. In this town, you're out of luck. Every week we talk to a sporting personality to find out just what makes them tick. And you're not moving anywhere. From their early childhood, to their professional career, to their musical tastes. Take you out of this place, someone you could We cover it all. So sit back and enjoy as we talk to this week's special guest. Here on Three Valleys Radio. Well, good evening. Welcome to In Conversation. It's AD here as usual. And today's guest is quite somebody, really. He's uh, a leading goal scorer for Newcastle United, or he was. He also played for Coventry, for Portsmouth. He's also got an interest in horse racing, and he's his own trainer. And I'm talking about none other than Mickey Quinn. Good morning, Mickey. Morning. How are you doing, old dog? All right? Very well, very well, yeah. Uh, Very busy with the horses and that. And, uh, yeah, just looking forward to the new season. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, what we're going to do, Mick, we're going to go through your early career and and sort of right up to where we are today and um, play a bit of music as well as we go along. So um, you started off, uh, you were born on the 2nd of May in 1962 uh, in some place called Liverpool where's that then (laughs) (laughs) I don't acknowledge Liverpool uh, (laughs) (laughs) at the end of the M62 there's a golden sky and the sweet beat silver song of the larks Um, yeah it's you know what every time you say Liverpool to me and uh, it just means sort of something special in my heart uh, and that you can't take what is it you can't take the scouts <laughs> uh, away from you and uh, although I haven't lived there since well with the football I've been everywhere but uh, probably 18, 19, 20 uh, I left there and um, I still go back to see my family um, mm. so I love going back home when you can obviously it's been hard I haven't been able to get home with the lockdown and that so yeah. it's still it's still homemade no matter where I am I think it's. I think you know, much as much as being a mank, I'm, I'm sort of anti-Liverpool. <laughs> I think it's good that you've got such a passion for the place. And and let's face it, it you know, it does hold a, um, a a key role in most people's hearts. I mean, I, you know, I'm a, a child of the '60s, so I can remember you know the early '60s when the Beatles and everybody, yeah. you know, Jerry Marsden, all of the rest of them. And you know, it's it's a major part in our in our whole culture, isn't it? Really. So much as you know, as I say football-wise, I'm glad Fergie did manage to knock them off their <laughs> effing perch. But um, <laughs> but no, it, you know you can't you can't uh, you can't you know shy away from the fact that Liverpool is a great city, and uh, you know more power to you for being a, a supporter and sticking with them, especially in yeah. the last six weeks. But I didn't want to mention that <laughs> oh, too early. God, but I, <laughs> I didn't want to mention that too early. But no. So anyway, um, you know, what's your first recollection of playing football, then, Mick? I mean, not not sort of you know Derby County, which we're come to in a minute but um, you know when you were a nipper six, seven I don't know yeah uh, well that exactly as soon as I could walk 
Oh, I'm kicking the ball. My dad was a very good amateur footballer, and yeah. um, he had trials for Blackpool and uh, who's the other club. But anyway, he played uh, high standard amateur football, mm. and I, we we um, I was brought up in the city, and then late sixty, late sixties, early seventies, uh, we moved to a council estate on the outskirts of Liverpool. Um, mm. Liverpool's so crammed, you know, so they built these uh, council estates on the outskirts of Liverpool. And to be fair, they had a very good junior football league there, mm. and they had uh, um, juniors, intermediates, uh, seniors, um, and it was a good breeding ground. I mean, uh, David Fairclough came out of that. Ian Bishop, ex-Man City, mm. and a lot of first-time pros for Liverpool Everton um, all came through. But we used to just go round each um, each place on on the farm, as we used to call it, um, and have a kick around with any lads that were there. You know, we just move around and we'd have a game of football you know it was about 6,000 people on the estate yeah and you know we were round A then we'd, we'd go to Nevitt or we, we you know we'd, we'd corner Brook we'd go there and pick up a game so it was basically football morning, noon and night and, and my mother had to scream us in for our tea <laughs> when we had to come in and jerseys for goalposts I take it Definitely anything, <laughs> any anything, Gady, you could. Yeah. It seriously, is yeah, Jason goalpost anything uh, as a pitch, yeah. concrete, grass, yeah. whatever we could play on. Brilliant, brilliant. That's where it should be, though, isn't it? Really, and yeah. that's that's obviously where you picked up all your early skills. I take it. Then were you a striker in those days? Uh, def, uh, striker. Uh, do you know what? Uh, yeah. Um, but I did like to get into the uh, that uh, very uh, Council Farm Junior Football League. I liked to get into that team, didn't I? <laughs> and the only position they had, you had to be eight to get in the team, right. uh, the juniors. Yeah. And I, I said it was eight. I was only seven. And uh, I, the only spot they had was goalkeeper. So I started. Oh yeah. Junior <laughs> right. in goal. Yeah. And then uh, from that, when it was uh, when it was eight nine, I'd play out and a striker and start to score goals. But I did play midfield from a school and my. Heighten, uh, uh, heighten boys as well. Hold it there a minute, mate. Well, now it's time to hear a little bit of musical choice from our Mickey Quinn, and the first one is, as you'd expect from a Liverpool boy, it's the Beatles.
there you go sergeant pepper of course from the Beatles. so eventually then you you ended up at derby county uh, on their youth uh, set up there how did that go well i got picked up by uh derby county um i was on the books of tramiel under 16s and then derby came in for me and the chief scout there jimmy aspinall um he went on to be liverpool chief scout he took me down there but i signed a apprentice uh, for them 16 pounds a week but couldn't settle there the first mm-hmm. time i'd been away from home a uh, big liverpool family and missed it missed it badly so i was there eight nine months in the end i left by mutual consent i wasn't happy there mm-hmm. and uh, I, I did have a conversation with tommy doherty who was who was the manager at the time mm-hmm. so when i was leaving um i was i was banging in a few goals for the youth team we got to the semi-final of the youth cup uh and it, anyway i i went in to see the doc myself <laughs> don't forget money an apprentice yeah. and i said to him um look i said uh why aren't i in the reserve and he said well you're not right there's a process you know um you go through the youth team you know then you you're a young professional then you'll play if you reserves and then you're going to i said well if i'm better guy who's in the reserves why not play in the reserves <laughs> get out this office you cheap <laughs> <laughs> well again but then i thought to myself Eddie, well if that's the process and i think i'm good enough then i'm not going to get in that reserve team to another two three years down the line yeah so i, I rang my dad up said i'm coming home and he said you're not i said i am anyway give me a good hiding when i got back <laughs> <laughs> because it was the opportunity i yeah. turned down but yeah. i wrote tramia i wrote to wigan i wrote to uh, a lot of northwest clubs in lower league got a trial at wigan uh signed young professional 17 and made my league debut AD in the same season right. 17 years old yeah. and scored on me on my uh, first game against halifax which proved a point then basically didn't it well, although it wasn't a big league, because Derby County were in Division 1 then, which is the Premier League, it, it was league football. Mm. and But I had to work my butt off to get all the way back to that big league again. Yeah, yeah, quite. But like you say, you're, at least you're in the right place and then you were on the road. And, and it, I was home. Yeah, was home. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Wigan's not Liverpool, though, is it? No, just down the road. Though, it's closer to the Mainland, isn't it? It's closer <laughs> to the Mainland, Mickey. Well, yeah, yeah. And they talk with a funny accent, there. not they? <laughs> <laughs> they did it with one in Bush. Oh, we, tell you what, mate, we <laughs> were... We called him Aiden Woolly back. <laughs> well, we taught a funny accent down here and all, mate, so don't you worry about that. <laughs> um, but anyway, so you're at Wigan till 1982. Now, don't don't bollock me if I give you the wrong figures no. here because I've got Wikipedia and that's my, my Bible at the moment. Well, it's a little bit wrong, the Wikipedia. Yeah, but they reckon 69 and 19. So, I mean, a good return, really, from, from uh, you know, your first... No, uh, being that young pro, um, a lot of them appearances were substitutes. So mm. I was in and out the team. But I did play in that prom- promotion season. Uh, I progressed to 250 quid a week, AD. But, you know, I was only mm. a kid, 18, uh, knocking in goals. Larry Lloyd became the manager, and um, he called me in the office one day. And like I said, I was in sort of in our team. He had a lot of older pros there at the time. Uh, so he said, look, he said, uh, the, ch- the chairman, uh, he wants to give you away as a present. And I said, well, it's not even Christmas yet. <laughs> so, sorry, one of the directors uh, used to be chairman of Stockport County. Right. So Larry Lloyd called me in his office he said the chairman um, director sorry wants to give you away to Stockport County they look like they're going to go off to football league I said but I don't want to go he said get down there speak to them so I seen Eric Webster anything with man in AD he was it yeah he was the kit man groundsman he was the manager <laughs> yeah. he's the team man he did everything right. and he said to me how much you're on there I said 250 a week I'll give you 200 now I know I'm sick but I could work that one out <laughs> I 
myself. <laughs> How do you expect me to sign for a club that are lower in our league? Because we were going to get promoted. And he said, well, we're playing a Friday night. And if you get us out of trouble, keep us in that league, he said, then you'll get a scout coming up on a Friday night to watch the games and you'll get a better move within a couple of seasons, I guarantee you. So I went home, I, my head was wrecked. And then in the end, I said, well, he doesn't, they don't really want me. And they made it uncomfortable for me back at Wigan. So I signed for them. Mm. And I got 39 goals in 63 appearances for them. And um, and got that move to Oldham. And things it, were beginning to... Things were beginning to go then, because, I mean, already we're talking, I mean, if... That's, that's 50, no, I need 60 goals, um, yeah. you know, as a 17-year-old or a 17-stroke 18-year-old. I mean, that's that's not a bad return, really, is it? No, no, it was... It, it, I mean, it was hard, uh, you know, but I was luckily enough with my build strong, so mm. I was playing against, you know, seasoned professionals in them lower leagues. Yeah. And, you know, my strength um, and, I think, upbringing got me through it. And mm. um, that got me back to the Division 2, which is champion. Uh, with Oldham Athletic Joe Royal who started to mould this raw striker uh, by this time you know early 20s into you know a professional and that's what Joe did I think I think that you know the general public don't really understand and I certainly didn't until I worked at Yeovil what it's like playing for a professional football club Um, it's 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 not as easy it's not all you know roses that's for sure and I think for people no you're right it's not and uh, don't forget you you're growing up as a human being as well yeah. you know, from, from kid to adult um, you make mistakes we all make mistakes but uh, it is a job I know it's a very privileged job but it is a job and in any job you want to progress in any job you want to get to the top in any job you'll have ups and downs um, professional footballer was a job and yeah. as long as you didn't as long as you didn't in a, get carried away in, in our day which you couldn't because in them 80s middle 80s there was no money about it there was no money about it no. so feet were firmly on the ground uh, no egos and uh, you got on with it and made sure you tried to get out any division that you wasn't tried to get to the top of your mm. profession but I, I you know, I think the way that the professional players are treated at times. I mean, I, I remember we went on tour to Latvia one year, and and um, we played a game over there, just a friendly game sort of thing, you know. And anyway, we lost. I think it was at three one or something. And uh, I was I was press officer and I was photographer and I was like man, every like your mate yeah. man sort of thing. And um, <laughs> I remember Gary said to me, he said, "You coming in or what?" And sort of thing into the dressing room after the game. So I sort of oh, yeah. Oh, oh, all right then, so they so so I went in and, and, and hovered in the background as far as away getting away from it all. And Gary laid into one of the players, and, and I thought, Jesus God, I'm, you know, I I would have got up and smacked him one if he spoke to me like that. But you know, you slowly but surely you learned that was his style. That was and and to be tough, fair to Gary, tough, he, tough he, love. yeah, it, tough it was, and and he he got the best out of players, and um, he certainly did, you know. And and I I you know I, I got to respect. And I remember we went during that that trip. We went to um, we, we we stayed in Riga in, in Latvia, and one of the lads um, he said to me, "Right, you got to come out for a drink in the night, sort of thing." So I said, "Well, yeah, I suppose if it's all right." And he said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, we would go out for a drink." You know, so okay, off so off we go. And um, next day we were down at a beach on the Black Sea down there. And I actually went in the Black Sea, would you believe? But you've never been in the Black Sea, have you? Hey, no, I no, you haven't. You see, so mind you, mind you, I've been to New Brighton as a kid. And I, I had a swim in the sea, the Mersey. That, and let me tell you, 
there was a lot of things in it. Yeah, I smell it bloody was. <laughs> Floating around. Yeah. But he said to me, he said, uh, Aid, he said, look, he said, uh, you're fairly new in the job still. So he said, look, I just it's not really the done thing for the staff. And I was bracketed under the staff to go out drinking with the players. So I said, OK, Gary, sorry about that. You know, he said, oh, don't worry about it. He said, but I'm just sort of... And he had a nice way of telling you. And, I, yeah. you know, and I, I grew to respect him. And, and you know, he's, he's, he's one of my best friends now. He's, he's you know, he's a great guy. Um, yeah. But... Uh, so that was it's, the first yellow card. Yeah, exactly. It was, <laughs> but it, it but it taught me a lesson, and it taught me, you know, yeah. you this is this is professional football now, and you don't go out having a pint of lager with your mates because it doesn't work like that yeah, anymore. Exactly. You know, so it was uh, it was good. Really. Now, Oldham, of course. The thing about Oldham that reminds me is it's so bloody cold up there. Oh, um, I mean, every time I came down that M62 and got within three miles of Boundary Park, the old ground, there was just a big black cloud above it, hmm. and uh, <laughs> it was great. <laughs> <laughs> they say it was grim it was mill yeah. you know mill towns and mill cities and look uh, uh, I still lived in Liverpool so I was glad it, I just went there <laughs> travelled there I uh, used to travel back and forth with uh, Mark Ward uh, ex-Man City ex-Evan mm. ex-West Ham Joe McBride ex-Evan yeah, uh, yeah so we used to share the car up there split the bets so it was good but it was you know Oldham of course the stadium I mean I know it's, they've improved it a bit now and they've built a new stand there I think if memory serves me but, but at the time I, I know when I went first there and God blimey oh, what a tip this place is you know but there was yeah. a few up there like that Rochdale Rob, a, lot of, uh, a lot of the grounds though if you remember AD in the middle eight, they were all coming under scrutiny and all were going to be improved weren't they uh, yeah. a few disasters mm. along the way and um, yeah Boundary Park but do, do you remember the hill there uh, I mean there used to be a hill the Oval in there as well oh well, well on the pitch there was yeah but that was the old that's pitch that's on the pitch well it was a yeah. seven or eight foot drop from one end to the other at Boundary Park no I wasn't aware of that I've been there enough yeah, times yeah, but yeah. It, and, it, and then they and then they put the over uh, the um, all weather service like racing yeah. they put the um, plastic pitch on so oh, that right. levelled it that levelled it off oh well, probably I must have missed it then, I suspect. But but you had 34 goals there according to this and 80 appearances that sound about right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, not as prolific, but I mean, we, most of that time, Aidan, we were just trying to keep the team in that division. Mm. So we were eighth, ninth from bottom, you know. Joe had limited resource, um, but put a good put a good team together. Put a real good team together. And uh, like I said, he, it was a selling club. So he, he the likes of me, Mark Ward, Andy Gorham, do you remember Andy Gorham? Yeah, Got played for United, he did, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. And um, Darren McDonough, all the same age, you know, mm. all on the same wage, but each season, he had, he, or you know, he had to sell us to balance the books. To balance the books. I remember at Oldham there was a the guy who was the press officer. I can't think of his name now, but a lovely guy, really big guy. Um, he's, he's since died, but I don't know if he was there when you were there. I should think he probably was. He looked like he'd been there for the whole duration. Really, a lovely guy. <laughs> uh, I remember. I said I to him, remember tell you the truth. I said to him one one day I was up there. I said, um, no, that's right. I just speak to him on the phone. That's right. And I said, oh, make sure you got some donuts in my one we're up there not yeah you know, it's just a kind of yeah, flippant sure. sort of off the anyway I roll up there and he comes up is your donut son he goes <laughs> well, well, he really got them because the budget was very very tight at all like, yeah exactly exactly and of course Gary's son eventually went up there to, to manage all right, them right. as well so there was a lot of connections there really but um, time for some more music now this time it's Earth Wind and Fire and Shining Star
Fire there, one of my favourites as well, Shining Star. Pardo Solicitors, the friendly law firm based in the heart of Somerset, with offices in Yeovil, Taunton and Bridgewater, with a strong ethos of helping those in our community. If in doubt, check it out with Pardo's on a free no-obligation call or subscribe to our free podcast, The Friendly Law Podcast. For more information, call 0800 862 or visit pardos.co.uk. Pardos Solicitors, looking after you, your family and your business. At AJ Wakeley & Sons Family Funeral Directors, we know the importance of compassion and integrity. We also know how unfamiliar decisions can be so difficult at a time of family bereavement. We can provide a steadying influence just when you need it, guiding and helping you make the right decisions to reflect the kind of funeral that your loved one deserves. Visit our website, www.ajwakely.com, for more information or call Clive Wakely on 01935 479913. When I first started my business, I was hopeless at paperwork. My system involved bunging everything in a shoebox and sorting it out later, much later. Thank goodness for Chalmers Accountants. They soon put me on the right track. They work with businesses of all sizes, and they really know their stuff. Chalmers will provide you with a one-to-one service with your own personal account manager at one of their three local branches. For expert advice on how to make your business more successful, visit chalmersaccountants.co.uk and book your free initial consultation.
Horse racing is the sport of kings. And here at Hot to Trot Racing, we have the perfect way to experience the thrill of racehorse ownership at the highest level, but at a fraction of the cost. Hot to Trot Racing operate three syndicates, two on the flat and one over jumps, with each costing just over £2,000 for an all-inclusive share per year. Each syndicate has at least five leased horses who are based with leading trainers in the UK, like Clive Cox, Roger Charlton and Nicky Henderson. A syndicate member's benefits include communication, a diverse schedule of events, badges for racing when a syndicate have a runner, hospitality during the season, including our end-of-season lunch, and a share of the prize money earned by the horses. For more details, contact Sam Hoskins at sam at hottotrotracing.com. Hot to Trot Racing, the sport of kings. So, so how did you end up leaving Oldham and getting to Portsmouth then? Well, like I said, they asked to sell me. So uh, Joe Royal brought me in and he said, look, an old mate of mine wants to sign you. I said, who's that gaffer down the south coast? Um, Alan Ball. Yeah. So he said, they're just on the verge of promotion. He said, they've got 11 games left. I've worked out. You get six goals in them 11 games. You get them promoted. So I said, all right. I said, but it's a big move for me. It's the first time I leave Liverpool again, you know. So... Mm -hmm. I was ready this time though you know I, I was ready um, so I went down to see Alan Ball sorted the terms out uh, and I signed for them um, mm. till the end of the season it was uh, round about transfer deadline day and got the six goals in 11 games but we missed out on, by a point on mm. promotion mm. Um, Alan unbelievable character you know I mean mm. he, I was talking about Tommy Dockers he was manager Derby, Derby Eric Webster managed Stockport uh, Larry Lloyd Wigan then of course Joe Royal Oldham and now Alan Ball Will Cookmaner mm. and um, very passionate man and you know really would rip into you when you needed it and put your arm around when you needed that as well but for them three was it three seasons there three and a bit um, we missed out by a point mm. then the, the next season uh, Paul Madden came to the club I played up front with Paul and then I got um, we got promoted and uh, it was a fantastic feeling really was um, Civic Hall Pompey uh, them fans are so passionate Mm. And I got me, I got me second golden boost of my career uh, for leading league scorer. First mm. one was Stockport. Yeah, second one was uh, in Portsmouth. Well, next up in the musical stakes, we got Mr. Luther Vandross, and never too much.
much, never too much, never too much, never too much. Just to get me started I called you up but you weren't there And I was broken hearted Hung up the phone, can't be too late The boss is so demanding Open the door up and to my surprise There you were standing well, Who needs to go to work to hustle for another dollar I'd rather be with you Cause you make my heart scream and holler Love is a gamble and I'm so glad that I am winning I'm a long way and yet this is only the beginning of my life. of Andros there and never too much right so so you were at uh, Portsmouth for three years um, any memorable games there anything sort of stick out in your mind as being a special game uh, I think uh, I, I quite, it was acquiring a new nickname Noah because it, <laughs> the goals kept going in two by two <laughs> and I hadn't scored a hat-trick and um, Derby County my old club Trappen Park and it was my mum's birthday she's sadly no longer with us and I got a hat-trick on her birthday no, and we beat nice. Derby yeah my old club three one so that, that always sticks out apart from the promotion obviously but that, that yeah. always sticks out for me um, as a standout game uh, and getting the hat-trick as well so uh, mm. yeah, it was lovely I, do, I dedicated it to her as well absolutely so you had 54 goals for Portsmouth which is we're going up by 121 uh, league goals that is yeah, league yeah. Goals. plus a few more in the cup no doubt oh, yeah loads of cup I mean I, I think through my career and every goal scorer knows the goals I think I've got 38 cup, cup goals that's league cup FA Cup yeah. in, in 57 Cup games uh, down the years so quite proud of that as well so, so tell me though as a striker even the Anglo-Italian Cup AD oh yeah we played in that Yeah, we played in yeah. that <laughs> and you didn't have to write the song neither to get in it no that's true <laughs> <laughs> um, but tell me as a striker uh, yeah. you know you, you look at strikers and uh, I mean uh, going back through my year I mean I look at sort of Jimmy Greaves and Dennis Law should we say now they were just sniffers they were there uh, but then if you look at it today and you say I don't know take Marcus Rashford or um, uh, Mo Salah maybe I wouldn't class them exactly as sniffers they're more they run onto the well, ball and come yeah, on what, what would you what category would you put yourself in then a goal scorer there's a big difference 
big difference. Yeah. There's a big difference. A goal scorer or a striker. A goal scorer would be a, a, someone who would get you 20 league goals this season. Plus. Yeah. Plus. Mm. So, a striker is probably a, a, a player that plays up front, uh, links up, uh, and gets 10 to 12, 15 goals, which a lot of modern-day strikers do. Yeah. A lot more mobile, probably. And in my day, we had partnerships. A lot of them, uh, there's front three, you know, and, yeah. um, or one up front, you know, so on. Or in some teams like Man City or that Barcelona, no strikers, you know, so... Um, yeah, a goal scorer would be a goal scorer. And I think Jimmy Greaves and Dennis Law, you mentioned, and I'm you know, sir on this uh, subject, would play any day, any yeah. modern day. Jimmy Greaves with Lightning, lots of one-on-ones with the keepers, and very rarely missed. Dennis Law would sniff out goals from anywhere, you know. Mm. So, mm. Um, But yeah, I, I mean, my most prolific times is when I linked up in a partnership where like Paul Manor I just mentioned yeah. you know like on I'll tell you about in Newcastle where they they was on to hold the ball up to, to link up play where I would spin and get in the box and use my energy to, to, to sniff around for goals and put it in the back of the net and, and who would you say was your most prolific sort of link up with who would you say was the most prolific partner you had you know the pair of you which was the best one uh, well Paul I think Paul got about 14 goals that season Yeah, um, but later on when I Linked up with linked up with uh, Mark McGee at Newcastle. We got sixty three goals between us one season. It was that Mark McGee. And still never got promoted. Yeah, 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 yeah. Excelsior, uh, Aberdeen, Aberdeen manager, yeah. wasn't he? Memory. They yeah. probably did. Yeah, they were. I was the most. Uh, well, I was prolific in my goal scoring, playing up front with them too. So, um, so Portsmouth then, uh, fifty four goals there at least. Um, uh, what 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 made you leave Portsmouth? How did that come about? Well, Alan Ball sadly was sacked, and uh, John Gregory came in, uh, who was former Villa. Uh, yeah. player Derby County United. and to be fair if John was made of chocolate he'd eat himself um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but he but he was a good he was a good judge he made me club captain oh well there he goes they were skins again Jim Gregory new chairman came in and I've been there three years and they offered me um, like a 50 pound rise the club look the club were rebuilding uh, didn't look like they would get promoted and you know a 50 quid rise for you know I'd probably stayed there one season too long anyway you know out yeah. of loyalty there, especially when Bawley left so I decided to move on I come to the end of my contract and uh, Jim Smith gave me a tinkle Newcastle United manager and decided to go and see Jim and uh, go to the North East from the South Coast right away <laughs> Indeed it was but I mean we're talking now about you know one of the giant clubs of the Football League really I mean maybe not from a success point of view but from a point of view of supporters and, and their standing This is huge. worldwide worldwide yeah. yeah I can go anywhere anywhere in the world I'll be spotted by a Geordie or Newcastle yeah. fan yeah. But, but leading up to leading up to going to uh, Newcastle because it was the end of my contract um, because it was the end of my contract it went to a tribunal uh, so basically Newcastle United offered 50 grand Portsmouth wanted 1.5 million right so there's a discrepancy so it goes to a tribunal in London the PFA and that anyway Jim said he's only got 250 grand to spend on a striker <laughs> so I said well I'm going to go for more than that I'm 27 uh, I'm reaching my peak uh, been leading goal scorer all the time I said I'm going to go for more than that anyway came out the tribunal Newcastle's United uh, to £680,000 uh, which Jim said you ring the chairman I'm not to tell him how much 
<laughs> anyway, long story short, I uh, signed up there. He said, what shirt did you want to wear? I said, well, there's only one shirt to wear here, the number nine. Yeah. It's historic. Oh, he said, just one thing. I said, what? He said, no striker scored 20 goals for 20 years since Malcolm McDonald. So I said, give me the number nine. I'll wear it. No problem. Anyway, I got, I got four on my Newcastle United debut um, against Leeds. Beat them 5-2. And got 39 goals that season. Uh, the most the most I've ever scored in any division uh, with that number nine shirt on my back. So, uh, and paid most of that uh, valuation back in that season. Next musical choice for Matt Mickey is the Arctic Monkeys. I bet you look good on the dance floor. Dance 
the Arctic Monkeys there and I bet you look good on the dance floor. But what was it like playing for a club like Newcastle with that fantastic fan support and that? I mean, the, the, Let me give you an example. First of all, on that first day, four goals, debut, number nine on your back. I had my family up there, my dad, my uncles. We all went to town. I was staying in the holiday in there. Anyway, we went back half 12, two o'clock um, and I'll keep this clean. We <laughs> went for a few drinks, two o'clock in the morning and the bar was two floors up from the toilets. Right. So two o'clock, I'm busting for a, uh, to go to the toilet. Anyway, I'm waiting for the lift. Two of them are out of order. There's three lifts on the second floor. Two of them are out of order because of the time, two o'clock in the morning. One was working. I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And anyway, there was a pot plant conveniently put there. <laughs> <laughs> so decided to use it. Next minute, I felt a, a hand come on my shoulder. Turned around to six foot seven, ex-copper, who was manager of the hotel, Geordie. And he went, Mickey, man, you score four next week. You can have a number two in that. <laughs> <laughs> and Aiden, what I'm trying to roundabout way of saying is, you score goals, number nine on your back, you can do more or less anything you wanted in Newcastle. And being successful, scoring goals, and um, being sort of a cult figure for them, uh, that's why you're fondly remembered. Whenever I go up there, whenever I go ra- you know, on holiday, whenever I go around the world, I keep bumping into Newcastle fans who, mm. it's it really is humbling when they come up to you and buy you the drink most. <laughs> Did you did you find that it put a lot of pressure on you to score goals? Did you find that it put a lot of pressure on you to score those goals, though, the fact that they you know, were sort of expectation almost? Well, that first game was a big key because um, I always knew I could score goals, so I had the confidence, self-confidence to do it. But it was the press and the distance, and the, the, it was more, wasn't so much about scoring the goals, I knew I would score, it was the feet, you know, because, again, hmm. at that time, Newcastle pushed the boat out, and in 700 grand, they paid for me, so I had to deliver as well. Yeah. Uh, so I never felt the pressure about scoring goals. I knew I always would. But it was more be um, proven to the fans, you know, that to, uh, I'm proven to that number nine shirt because I've never worn another shirt like it in regards to it almost had a personality to it, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And going onto that St. James's Park with that shirt on, blading races, blaring out, you know, and fans singing, uh, the mighty Quinn as well. Yeah. It was fantastic. It just shivers down the back of my neck now and when I was playing. I don't forget, look, what I played at Anfield, played at Old Trafford, mm. played everywhere. So the only ground to, to to really get me get the juices flowing in mm. that sense. So what's going wrong with him now then? I mean, is it, is it all my Nothing's it? gone right. Nothing's gone right. No, well, you better go back <laughs> there. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I just think the way the club's being run, especially since Mike Ashley took over, there's no ambition there, lady. Mm. All he wants to do is keep that team in the Premier League, cop for the money each season. Um, don't forget, they've had two relegations under his tenure. Mm. I don't think they've progressed. They haven't progressed past the fifth round. FA Cup, he's not interested. Um, not interested winning anything really just wants to stay in cop the Premier League money and then give whoever's manager a budget to, to buy some players I mean it's just just not working the, the club needs a uh, shake up and um, you know he's he's bought managers there like Steve Bruce he's okay you know Alan Pardew they're mm. okay managers but you know the world class manager he did bring there was Rafa um, who he never really backed I mean mm. he spent 40 million on Joel Linton spent 40 million on a striker which was unheard of who's I've scored more goals now and I've been retired uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in the black and white shirt yeah. um, I think he's got one goal in 33 appearances uh, the last 33 appearances so 
he didn't really back a world class manager he's left no choice but to leave yeah. uh, you, you set up there as well didn't really want to know mm. so a lot of that going on which uh, we haven't got any ambition at a club even if the pay strings are tight what's the point of being in football the yeah. point of being in football is to win things no matter what club you are you've got to dream of winning something whether it's bronze, yeah. Yeah. whether it's a cup or anything mm. whatever level yeah no absolutely absolutely I quite agree with you you know but that's when uh, you put that EFL cup up into play as well for for lower league teams mm. to win but so having said that I mean it's it's quite interesting that, you know these owners generally whether it's whether it's Mike Ashley or, or whether it's the Glazers or whatever but to be fair to the Glazers or even your mob um, what's his name um, can't think of the bloke's name the Liverpool bloke um, anyway whatever uh, chairman. yeah chairman yeah uh, John Henry Henry that's it yeah um, they have at least shown their ambition they put the money in I mean the Glazers get slagged off left right and centre but to be fair they've never stopped United buying players and they've put the no, money in no, you know no. whereas Ashley you know he just as you say he just doesn't bother does he really it's, a, it's almost a toy to him you know it's, he, 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 he very rarely up there he runs the club from London so um, said, it, have you been to the St James's Park no never been there never been there. right so the ground <coughs> is right in the city centre. Is it? So when that club doing well, the, the ho- whole industry around it and the city is, do, you know, goes to work on a Monday with a smile on the face. Yeah. Um, it's an incredible place. I don't think anyone realises, unless they've been there, what Newcastle United's all about. Their local rivals are 12 miles away from Sunderland. So yeah. you have a million people in Newcastle supporting one team, black and white. Yeah. You don't yeah. see any of the shirts around the city in Newcastle. Do you no. know what I mean? It, it, it is incredible c- city, incredible people and an incredible club. Mm. And I pray every start of every season that, that hopefully this is the season they're going to win something because they haven't won anything since 69 mm. the first cup. Be lucky to stay up this year, I think, the way things are going. But, uh, well, well wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me if you went down. No. Really wouldn't. No. Well, not many footballers get a top 10 hit uh, named after them, but in Mickey's case, of course, he did. And it was, of course, Manfred Mann and the Mighty Quinn.
The Manfreds, of course, there, and the mighty Quinn. So, um, what brought to an end the, the love affair with Newcastle, then? Kevin Keegan. <laughs> oh, fair enough. <laughs> we, uh, we had a difference of opinion. I thought I should have been in the team, and he thought I shouldn't. All right, OK. <laughs> I, uh, I had a falling out with him as well. Um, hey, long story, so he came and we were struggling, you know. By the way, Jim Smith sat. Aussie our dealer was, um, was, he came in for three months. He was sat and he made me club captain, Aussie, and uh, and Kevin came in. And I knew Kevin from uh, my own mucker, Mick Shannon, and, uh, and Bawley. So he came in and he's my idol as a kid. Mm. And I was injured and he was struggling and he rushed me back too soon, you know, and I just wasn't mm. the same. And then when I got fit and when I got sharp, he wouldn't play me. Yeah. <laughs> and he was scoring goals and still struggling. So I went in to see him and Kevin took everything to heart, you know what I mean? And I wasn't arguing mm. with him, but I just said, you know, anyway, don't think he uh, ever forgot it. And I started the following on the bench, came on, scored, up again. I scored two in the League Cup. Next game, uh, he sub- um, He dropped me again. He dropped me on four different occasions when I broke into the team, scored goals, including the winners and all that. And he dropped me every time. And then I thought, you know what? There's no future for me here. I was over 30. I was 30 then. And... Uh, I wanted to be playing every week. I knew with him I wouldn't be playing because he still kept a grudge. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm fine now. You know, I'm, I've seen Kevin now and no problem. It's mm. like, again, like any work, any boss, sometimes you get on with them, sometimes you don't. Yeah, quite. So how did the move to Coventry come about? Did, you know, they put you on the transfer list or what? Or did they well, just... no, because I went in to see him <coughs> and um, oh, he, he wouldn't dare put me on the transfer list because it was that popular with the fans. Right, so yeah. uh, he, he said there's a few inquiries uh, about loans uh, going on long. So I said, Said, right, he, uh, I said, Who are we from? So, you know, I can't remember the one club. Yeah, Coventry was the other club, and, and they were in the Premier League then, the new Premier League. Yeah, so in the end, I said, Do you know what, I'll go, you know. And he said, If you do go and you want to stay there, I, said, oh, I will keep it. So, I went to see Bobby Gould yeah. of, uh, of Coventry City, and I remember on the way down and chatting away, saying, Look, this new Premier League is going to go global, uh, this new Premier League is where the money's going to be up. We want little Coventry City stay in this Premier League for as long as they possibly can and uh, he was you know he was ambitious enough to mm-hmm. tell me that he said all we need is a goal scorer so I went down to see him and then I, I've still got three Premier League records that stand to this day How, Is it just a knack you know I mean people like you you, you score goals instinctively somehow it just, it just well that, that's what you just said instinct it's instinct Yeah. it's sometimes a blink of an eye you know you find yourself in a position you find yourself in a natural uh, position to score a goal or adjust your body to deflect the ball in off your, in, off your ankle and it, it homes in on that goal and that's instinct mm. you cannot teach anyone that no. you cannot teach anyone that and all the best goal scorers which I refer to again goal scorers had it yeah yeah but you must be well pleased that you, you were lucky enough to have it and if you if you get that 
goal scorer getting that certain amount of goals well, that team will win a certain amount of points each yeah. season yeah. which will safeguard them staying in a division or could be the difference to winning something mm, mm. I know we have one at Yeovil um, a guy called Paddy Madden he plays for Fleetwood now and you know just natural goal scorer just yeah. just came simple to him you know but um, yeah it must be it must be you know to sort of wake up and think oh you know you're blessed with that that ability that well, you know is special that, um, isn't it yeah, well it was it was second nature let's say for me yeah. so I, I did you, I, you never overthink it it's just second nature goal yeah. but when I signed for Coventry uh, from my debut uh, I got um, I scored in my first six Premier League games right. which uh, Aguero and um, who was the other fella he only got to five from their debut he went to Atletico Madrid with the Muzzy what was his name played for Chelsea oh, Torres no he, he was hard as nails he was like he's like a bulldog uh, Oh, anyway, so um, and then from that my debut, uh, I've got ten goals in my first six games. So the first uh, striker to get to ten Premier League goals from the debut, and again Aguero only got to nine games. <laughs> and are you going to interview him, Eddie, next week? <laughs> 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 no, I don't know whether I can do that. He's a blue, well, isn't he? I can't have a blue nice on my radio show. <laughs> <laughs> it's still nice to have a few Premier League records still yeah. standing. And but don't don't forget, every time I've seen that ball, I've seen Kevin Geegan's face on it, I wanted to lose it right into the back of the net and prove him wrong. I can't imagine you being like that, Mickey. You're too nice. <laughs> you're too nice, mate. So, um, 25 goals, 64 appearances, according to Wikipedia. So again, you know, when you look at your record, you're virtually a goal every other game getting pretty yeah, close yeah. to and again the appearances don't tell the whole story because for probably 18 of them appearances uh, were from the subs bench because uh, Bobby Gould resigned after a certain amount of time Phil uh, Phil Neal took over and I wasn't his cup of tea um, and he played mostly on the bench then Ron over after Phil Neal and again I was substitute and he again he, he made and uh, Gordon Strachan was there as well they made sure like my time was up tight I was taking Three by then, so yeah, yeah. So, like I said, uh, if you're all based on you know just playing, it'd be about 25 and 40, 43, 44 uh, appearances. So, mm. but um, you know, you went out on loan, Plymouth, Watford, um, Thessalonica. That must have been uh, an interesting experience, if nothing else. Unbelievable, unbelievable place. Um, Northern Greece, biggest club in Northern Greece, Thessalonica. There's three clubs there and two million people, and we were the biggest club in the city. Biggest club in Northern Greece, so Panathinaikos, Olympiakos, and massive games they were. We get sixty thousand people there at, yeah. at some of the games yeah. against them uh, against them Athens clubs. Um, very passionate fans uh, played in black and white stripes again, which is familiar. Mm. But you know what? It was uh, a little bit of a disaster, really, because um, my brother died when I was out there, and I had to fly back home. Missed a lot of pre-season, and when I went over there, back again. Uh, the manager Ari Han, the old Dutch right back he was sacked then we had the Serb came in he was sacked Yugoslav this was all in like six months so it went from like a dream you know somewhere where it stimulates me playing in a different uh, different league to a disaster where the chairman um, wouldn't pay players bonuses there's there's no PFA over there Um, so in the end I I think nine months I decided to to go I mean in and out of team as well played all the cup games they used to have one cup that lasts the whole season there so, so yeah, so I wanted it to work, but chairman, three managers in nine months, ridiculous. So I came back home and retired uh, 
put the boots up. One of our ex-managers who comes on the station an awful lot, a chap called Steve Rutter. Do you know him at all? Yeah, yeah. He yeah. spent some time. He spent some time over in Greek Greek football for quite a while. He was yeah. assistant manager at uh, Panathinaikos, I think it was. So uh, he often yeah, tells us how it's uh, quite interesting over there, shall we say? Oh, to say the least, to <laughs> say the least. And the fans are so passionate. Eh? Yeah. Honest to goodness. Uh, but I enjoyed my time. Uh, very cosmopolitan city, Thessalonica. So yeah. I, I love the city itself. Uh, just uh, by Marina, that's where I lived. Lovely it was. And according to Wikipedia, at that point you applied for a job at Burnley, but you didn't get it. Um, so you went on onto the horses and and. The, well, the... I had to make a big decision. <clears throat> I went to Burnley, uh, play to be a play manager. Uh, I was fit. I was, you know, I was active. Down to the last two, me and. Um, Inchi agent yeah. uh, who was there as a player I've always said it like it is ADL I think uh, there was three directors there in, in a hotel in a room where they were doing the interview and I tell you not one of them was, was under 80 and um, he said what was the youth team policy well they'd only just escaped relegation the season before so I said I think I better concentrate on the first team first that night I, I said you were crap last season <laughs> yeah. I'm worried about the youth team uh, after I improved the first team well they, they took a Fence, you know, and you, you could see by their faces uh, yeah. they, they didn't appreciate that. And anyway, Adrian, Adrian got the job, and he, he did get relegated to see. No. Well, you weren't <laughs> so far I, wrong then. No, no, I, I, I knew me football, but but then again, with the racing, I had to get five years under my belt with the experience, uh, going through all the levels of, of racing, and then I had to take these three modules: um, uh, business management, stable management, three one-week courses. At the end of that five years' experience. To get me license. Well, we had a little bit of spare time, so uh, some wag decided to put this one into the list of musical plays. We got more stars than the cast of Dallas. We got more silver than Buckingham Palace. Welcome. We- 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 welcome to Fortress Anfield. Uh... Then Kenny Dalglish was the man for you. Now Roy's the boy who has the job of taking the Reds back to the top. Oh, I'm sorry about this, Mick, but there's no way that we're going to carry on with that rubbish. For goodness sake, I mean, what self-respecting man would play that sort of stuff on his own radio station? I'm sorry, mate, you know, we're good pals and all that, but I can't play that. Sorry, mate. Now, if you, if you look at our website, you, you'll, you'll get a drift that, you know, I've got two passions, basically. One's Man United and one's horse racing. So uh, and we live... Um, down here I mean I've got within literally within three or four miles of me I've got um, Harry Fry Jack Barber Anthony Honeyball uh, Kaylee Woolacott um, Colin Tizard's a little bit further away but not far David Pipe we've got a whole load of National Hunt fantastic training uh, you know there's there's a lot down here and I I got involved in this hot trot syndicate which has got five flat horses Uh, not with you but I'll have a word now now I've spoken to you have a word but uh, I've just grown to to love it now and and, and, uh, you know I'm absolutely sold on the whole thing and I do a racing show on on the programme and um, so so to talk to you how did you get into it I mean you said you had to go through modules I mean you know what is what 
Oh, no, that's the experience you needed to, to get the license. But from from a young age, my dad used to take me to the Grand National, being in Liverpool. Yeah. And being at that age was right at the Red Rum era, where yeah. you know me and my brother used to bunk over the fence at Aintree, and uh, of course Red Rum captured the imagination seventies uh, as I was growing up, and that gave me the bug, the passion. My dad used to do the old ITV Seven. Uh, sit down on a Saturday watch uh, and watch the racing and then from that I used to like a little bit here and there and then Mick Shannon I met him at uh, Portsmouth Mick yeah. was there when I signed yeah. and Mick was saying he was retiring going into racing and not a lot of people know I owned Mick's first two year old winner oh, right, yeah. and I, yeah. I had 40 winners with me yeah. uh, uh, syndicates uh, on my own clubs and then just wanted to follow Mick into the sport really uh, so Mick was my mentor when I finished I went down to his yard and learned the road for five years culminating in assistant trainer and then these three modules and then got my license so you kind of did your apprenticeship with Mick Channers yeah and you had to you had to do do it the proper way uh, which I did and didn't cut any corners and that's how you learn as well I mean, I, I suppose it's you know it's similar to taking your badges for being a coach at football. Same principle. Um, it is very much, very much, but a little bit different in regards of um, the racing style. I think the I think the advantage probably we make, and I come from another sport. Uh, obviously, the professionalism side of it, second to none. But uh, the athletic side of it, where how to push, how to rest, how to, you know, and and that side of it being you know uh, can't go flat out all the time. You know, you've got work rest and play and, and put that to good use uh, with the with the horses pushing them and resting them and, and so on and you know uh, that was probably a little advantage uh, we had uh, but then you had to learn about the anatomy um, so so many aspects to being a racehorse trainer you know uh, mm. and it's like football as well you never stop learning no quite so what made you go flat racing uh, as opposed to jumps speed. I love the speed I love the sprinters I love the uh, babies growing and developing as well and you know going 40 mile an hour um, well, you know it takes your breath away especially if one works well at home mm. or they win and there's you know a goal score goals um, the buzz you get when winning mm. so more fulfilling than scoring the goals because it's your head on the chopping block your name on the licence and, and at yeah. the end of the day uh, you know there's more factors to a team to the horses you know you've got everything uh, when, a, when your horse wins you know you've got everything done you've got the right race for it you've got the right ground for it you know you've, you've been given it the right exercise you've been given it you know you've got everything right on that on that day on that race mm-hmm. and um, how many have you got now then mate we've got um, 14 in at the moment right. we've, we're only, we've only got a barn of 15 um, excuse me 15 um, uh, boxes so we're only small small outfit but um, we do well we had a uh, stakes winner last year mm-hmm. uh, over jumps funny enough eh? mm-hmm. uh, Philly Coping she, she won the first the mayor's race at uh, Hennessy Day Newbury alright yeah uh, and she won four four on a spin and um, fantastic uh, Philly she is um, so so yeah but we what we try to do we, with the owners and we try to improve the quality each, each year so not numerically large mm. but we try to get that quality and compete yeah. and it's, uh, it's very hard to compete isn't it uh, as you know mm. well, it's, it's a moneyed industry that's for sure isn't it I mean oh, you know. well you see trainers with 250 horses 200 mm. horses and so on and so on yeah. you've, got, you've got 15 and you're trying to take them on because <laughs> <laughs> well, it always amuses me Colin Tizard's got 160 down here at Melbourne Port yeah. and I said to Colin 
I said, yeah, Colin, how do you, you know, I said, how can you tell that that's Lost in Translation and that's Native River? He said, well, you just can. I said, what, all 160 of them? Yeah, yeah, he said, you can tell. They've got little characteristics. Definitely, oh, and, and you, you're living with them, breathing with them every day of the week. You know, you're there first thing in the yard, six o'clock. Mm. Um, you're back there in the evenings, you're racing with them, you're tacking them up. So you see them exercise every day of the week, seven, mm. six, six days a week, sometimes seven days a week, uh, but if you're a busy trainer. So you get to know them. So, so where do you see it ending with you in, in the racing world? I mean, you know, if you've got um, any, uh, presumably you've got quite a few un, uncompleted ambitions within racing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I want to win a group race. Um, uh, they, just to explain it, group races are, you know, the higher echelon yeah. of, 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 of racing. Um, so you have the Derby, which is a Group One. You have uh, Group Two, Group Three, and then listed stakes winners. And so we've had a small yard. We've had about half a dozen stakes winners. Mm. Uh, we've had Group Group Place doors, which again is a fantastic feat. We haven't had a Group winner. I'd love to train a Group winner. Mm. No, we hard to trot had. Um, we were quite lucky. We had a little spell last year with a horse called Curious, and he he first of all won a listed race. That spelled with a K. Yeah, yeah. yeah Henry yeah. Candy trained it. Yeah, no, the horse. Yeah. Uh, Colours with the yeah, uh, that's it. You've got it. Um, he uh, he won a listed race and then he won a group three race and yeah, then brilliant. and then they kept putting him in against um, the tash. That's the one. Yeah, and I, and I thought you know well yeah yeah you know if you could beat but you're not gonna beat Batash so why are we wasting bloody entry fees and everybody else put him in with Batash Couldn't see the point. But the only thing is once you win a group race. It limits you to what races you can run in then because your handicap mark is that high. Oh, yeah. So, so you've only got a certain amount of options. Yeah. And to be fair, if you're going to run in them races, if you finish second or third or fourth, the prize money is unbelievable. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had a good year last year because we get a share of the prize money. Wade um, in, wade in. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Less than five or 80, less yeah. than five. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was great stuff, you know. But, uh, and I could never, uh, much as I like jump racing, I, I, I don't think. I'd ever want to get involved in it from point of view of ownership because I couldn't bury it if a horse, you know, if one of my horses broke down and broke his neck or whatever, that would kill no, me. That's that's. I mean, even you know, in horses injured who can't race anymore, it's heartbreaking. heartbreaking. Yeah, absolutely, it's always heartbreaking for the yard. Because of what you just said, you get to know them inside out. Yeah. You know, they've all got characteristics. Uh, so, well, they'd so, be a yeah, pet uh, to me, that's the thing. I mean, you, you can't have pets yeah. in, in in professional sport, unfortunately, but that's that's what well, it would no, be to me. Look, at the end of the day, they live in five-star hotels. Really. Uh, people fussing over them, loving them, uh, and they are treated. They are racing, yeah. but they are treated uh, the best. But, but the bread's a race. Yeah. The bread's a race. That's what the, the breed is for. It's just like you know, any breed of, of any animal, the bread's a things and resources are bred to race so if they enjoy it and they love it then you are going to get sad stories yeah 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 I mean what, what is just just to sort of finish off really what it's not been a good week for racing from the point of view of the Gordon Elliott thing how do you what, how do you where do you sit on that no uh, well I, I think it was stupid what he did it's uh, probably showing off to um, his mates by the looks of the picture by the yeah. looks of whatever yeah. and uh, similar thing as well with the jockey that did it yeah. um, so I don't think there's any excuse for it I don't he's held his hand up he's been punished um, and you know you've got to move on but yeah it, it, I, tell, I tell you what though with mates like he's got I don't think I'd want them because I should think one of his mates no, must exactly. have dropped him in it I would have thought yeah four years ago um, as well so 
someone's yeah. dropped them in, hasn't he? So yeah. get that photo. But hey, look, no excuse for it. No excuse for it at all, Eddie. Right. Um, and he should be emba- he should be embarrassed for what he's done. Right. Okay, then, Mickey. Well, I think we've 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 more or less caught up with, with where we are today. Now, um, you got any runners? Okay. Got any runners on all weather or not? Uh, we're just building up to the flat now. Eh? Um, so <coughs> no, I won't have many runners between now and the start of the flat. But uh, we got a couple of nice handicappers to go to war with. Um, um, Denver Park what, we called what, the show what, what, uh, one to watch then one to watch uh, probably Inver Park Inver Park Inver Park right okay yeah three year old three year old right okay we'll keep an eye open for that well, all I can say Mick is thank you ever so much it's been an absolute pleasure mate because uh you know, I've always nice speak to you and uh, well, I'll, 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 I'll get Terry Christian to deliver it for you. Okay. <laughs> we talked sport days ago. <laughs> are you still? Are you still Cheers doing? Days. Are you still doing talk sport or not? Mickey? No, no. I mean, no. Uh, I still do a few phone interviews and stuff, uh, the breakfast show and what have you. But uh, with uh, my owner, put a lot of money into into the yard and you know to spend on improving the quality. And to be fair. Uh, you know, I've got to be there all the time in case anything does go wrong. You know, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so I have to limit uh, limit the appearances, and it's just dwindled away a little bit. But um, no, I still, um, still, I enjoy media, I, uh, really do. And I think if, if this ever if I ever pack in or pack the racing in, it'll be the first thing I go back to the media. Well, don't worry. I think as soon as people hear you on uh, Three Valleys Radio, mate, you're going to have the offers come flooded in. So don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, mate. Well, thanks ever so much, Mick. It's nice to talk to you, and uh, maybe. We can get together and again right. sometime when you've got your group one winner. I might see you racing. Yeah, well, you never know. If you come you down racing. this neck of the woods, who knows? I, I don't travel that far racing, <laughs> but uh, yeah, who knows, Mick? Who knows? Right. Thanks, mate. You're a star. Right, Thanks ever so care. much. Okay, Thank cheers you. for now. Bye bye. Take care. Then. There you go. That was Mick Quinn. What a great bloke. I uh, really enjoyed talking to him. Bit of a legend up there on the northeast, and of course, he's now into horse racing as well. So. An awful lot to offer. So thank you, Mick. Thank you for joining us on In Conversation here on Three Valleys Radio. This is Three Valleys Radio. The heart is a blue. And you've been listening to the In Conversation program with A.D. Hopper. Make sure you join us every week here on Three Valleys Radio. And the reason that you had to care, the traffic is stuck. And you're not moving anywhere. You thought you found a friend to take you out of this place. Someone you could lend a hand in return for grace. So beautiful. Yeah.